try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. All right, welcome to The Jig Is Up. Um, with me, as always, is Jason. And we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, Dr. Sebastian Millette, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. And Jason, how are you doing tonight? Not bad, staying frosty in the great white north. Well, that's good. How are things in your uh, neck of the woods there, Seb? Well, you know, in Annie's Navy on Seed, Atlanta, Ottawa, and the weather is pretty nice, and it's you know, it starts to cold a little bit. The kids are all uh, to sleep now, so we can have a a chat about the, the, the mini subject that I think it's on our mind. So uh, it's, it's a great time. It's a great time. That's fantastic. And we want to recognize that it is, uh, I think it's officially Louis Riel Day today, so congrats on that for everybody and hope everybody took some time to think about that and, and maybe even take part in a few events today. Um, but let's just jump right into things. So, um, Sebastian, maybe for the listeners who aren't familiar with you, which probably are very few, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing and, and uh, why, I guess, what motivates you to keep keep going with this stuff. Well, um, I'm, uh, I'm a French Canadian Métis, um, raised like that by my dad. Um, you know, in my life, my life was, you know, not necessarily the most... Uh, Glamoury life. Uh, my father was a was a poor man, working class poor man, but uh, rich in his heart, and raised me as a as a proud half breed or Métis uh, for different terms. And um, basically, uh, it was an important part of my life, and I always try to make sense with it. And, and that's especially that's especially something today, as we remember Louis Riel's day on the November 16th today. So. It's, it's a kind of a blessing to be on your show on that day, to be honest with you. Um, and so basically I grew up uh, in different parts of Quebec. My family's from South Ontario. Uh, we belong to a, a cluster of Métis there that uh, are often referred historically as the Muscat French. Uh, they are the descendant of the, some of the first Métis community uh, in the sub, in, in the Midwest, the sub to the Great Lakes. So uh, I'm part of that community as well, as we know, uh, you know, the clusters of uh, French Indigenous families um, that have created and, you know, quite significant communities there in the Midwest. So that is from the historical part of my background. Um, now I work at the University of Carleton as a prof of law and legal studies. And um, I'm uh, busy trying to understand uh, Métis culture, Métis, uh, legal aspect, and I'm trying to understand, you know, the mix with colonialisms as well. So, um, 
So yeah, so basically that's what I'm I'm trying to do, and uh, I put emphasis in my work about the Eastern Métis or the most ostracized community uh, in the Métis community, you know, Métis culture. Uh, why am I doing that? To go to go swinging back to my dad. I remember as a kid, my dad used to say to me, uh, "If there's an oppressed people around you, know that this is your people, son." So I'm trying to follow his lead there and understand that there's Métis in the East that are suffering very badly, not only from from their fight with the government and their fight for recognitions, but now what has been very hard for me to understand and to realize is that they're also fighting uh, cousins and, uh, and other uh, Métis communities and people across this land as, you know, being fake or being this or being that. And I was surprised by that rhetoric at first, so I decided to jump right in and to study the phenomena. And uh, this is this is leading me where I am now, I guess. That, and that's, a, that's great, Sam. And, and that kind of tees up right into one of the reasons we felt it was so important to have you on the show is you recently published a paper uh, kind of rebuffing uh, what was, um, I guess, talked about at a university in your area. Can you give us a little bit of the lowdown of how that came about? Well, so I, I, you know, yeah. So basically what happened is that at the University of, of uh, Montreal on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, September 27th, or a conference presented by a professor called uh, Dr. LaRue, Dr. LaRue, and um, basically his conferences was like a negation one could argue, of the historical existence of Eastern Métis. And uh, I've seen some of uh, Dr. Lulu's argument before these conferences, so I know a little bit what he was up against in terms of his argument. And I was alarmed by a number of people coming coming to me, you know, what's what's going on with this conference, what is that, that, that type of negations of the existence of, you know, Métis in the East, and we do exist, and a lot of people got word with that, obviously, you know, because negating the existence of someone, it's quite it's quite a strong statement. It's quite deep, right? It can cause a lot of uh, anxiety, for sure. So, um, anyways, that conference didn't go well, in, in my opinion, and so I decided to write a paper as a response to it, first and foremost, because in Trahir, which is a French journal, a PhD student uh, decided to write kind of a review of that conference, and she was praising it all over the all over the moon, basically saying that <laughs> that it was such a you know it was such a good conference, and you know uh, those fake Métis in Quebec, uh, you know they they're they're just like trying to play indigenous, and they're stealing the the rights of true indigenous people out east, and. And, and basically, it's just folklore and stuff like that, and, and prejudice. And basically, basically, you can see between the line that these people would be stupid to claim to be Métis. Wow. So on that note, I wrote to the Trier Journal, and I said, could could I present my arguments? And Trier has accepted that. So I did a paper in French first, and after that, uh, some Métis came forward and said, can we have you know a translation for that? Because it's very important for us to understand these these argument as well, and so we did with the, the help of uh, of Remy there. We translated the paper to make it accessible for everybody online, so everybody can make their own mind about the arguments. So, 
in in your opinion, like what are some of the I guess the main talking points that uh, guys like Daryl Larue and other academics use that uh, you know that are kind of like the top three or top five kind of things that they use to discredit Eastern based Métis. Well, usually they will go for uh, it's you know we can go into complexities, but usually the point is that um, they believe in a in a doctrine, what I call is a doctrine or an ideology, right? About about or trying to present the fact that um, it, it is essentially um, a nationalistic consciousness that is born only out west that would guarantee Niti identity. So. The, their first spin is to is to assert or to posit that the only true indigenous Métis identity you can have is out of a collective or a nation born in Red River. So they're really adamant about this, right? It would be about the specific historical, you know, circumstance of Red River that would be that would have been sufficient and, politi- and pol- politically geared enough. To, to make this people emerge. Outside of that people, says a scholar like Chris Anderson, for example, you know, well-known for, for this position, and he wrote a book, Métis, about it. His book is Métis 2014 at UBC Press. So basically, in his, in his book, he says, well, look, the people outside of that nation, that Red River Nation, are mixed blood. And they are only that mixed blood, right? Um, they are not part of the Miki nation. They will never be part of that Miki nation. And he even goes to, to town with this, calling them soup kitchen. You know, a disenfranchised uh, blurb of people that now are falling back on the term Miki because it's politically convenient or it's legally convenient to do so. Uh, so that is the first kind of hard spin that they are given into this, and it's quite popular these days because the language of nation is so prevalent among indigenous people that it's, it makes a lot of sense, you know, to say, well, yeah, there's there's on the one hand a nation, and on the other hand, well, everybody, you know, so goes the argument, everybody's a little bit mixed, so, uh, and that doesn't cut it in terms of culture, and it doesn't cut it in terms of indigeneity. So all these French Canadian, Canadians having one drop of indigenous blood or finding somewhere in their, their trees that they would have some indigenous blood, well, these guys are just like, they're not Métis, they're, they're certainly not part of the Red River, and they're moreover kind of opportunist to do so. And it goes even further than that when it suggests, for example, that these, these guys would be in fact racist uh, to, to, to hurt the, the Métis nation by by taking a false identity. So there's even accusation of cultural appropriation, fakeness, and, and not being true to themselves, which is, which is a very hard rhetoric, as you can all imagine. So that is, that is kind of the first spin by which I would suggest LaRue then comes in and pursue this task of, uh, of finding those fakes, right, in Quebec. So he, he alleges, right, of uh, finding those face or those people that are problematic, according to him. And then he points to a number of cases of people claiming to be Métis, and then he goes into their narrative, and then he shows, look, these people have bad intention, and therefore moving very quickly on, 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 on examples that might be problematic, 
sometimes we can agree with him on that, but he moves very quickly to the argument that, in fact, there's no Métis whatsoever in the East and in, in Quebec. And I would suggest that then, basically, he argues that all the Québécois that are claiming to be Métis have ill intention or bad intention, or sometimes they may not have those bad intention, but they're kind of a, in a double ignorance by which, like, and they don't know what they should know, right, about their identities. So... That is that is kind of the spin. Which One of the things that got a lot of press out uh, out our way, Seb, was some mm. of the uh, inflammatory numbers that were being thrown about about you know two hundred and fifty percent increase in Métis identity uh, right. in Quebec. Is that something you can speak to? Well, yeah, surely. I mean, what what happened is that um, when this conference was was supposed to, well, it did happen at the University of Montreal. But it was known by the Métis Federation of Canada, for example, which, which part of their politics is to recognize Métis all across uh, Canada, right, if I get this right. And part of their policy is to recognize Métis people per their own culture. So basically to create this table by which we, we kind of understand that there's different Métis groups across Canada with cultural differences, but there's no way we can create a table by which we can all sit together to see what we have in common if we don't allow that diversity to be expressed in, in ways that people are expressing it themselves, right? So to make sense of it. So anyways, that Métis Federation of Canada got, got a hold on that conference and they wrote a letter to complain directly to the, to the University of Montreal about this, saying that this, confer- this conference of Dr. LaRue shouldn't go forward because it's basically, you know, um, hatred publicity against a group or, or an ethnic group, in this case, the Métis of the East, uh, as to, de- to depict them as fake, as false, as, as people that, com- that are confused about their identity. And it goes bigger than this because then the, Dr. LaRue's statement is claiming that the, the Eastern Métis are also a danger for the sovereignty of the, the First Nation in the East. So that creates an hostile environment in which like lateral violence can happen or, or fights between, between indigenous people out East that will certainly, you know, be panicked by, by these kinds of arguments. And the the number that you're referring to is that for Dr. LaRue, the way to explain this instrumentalization of Métis culture in the East is by showing the growth of the Métis population in the East, right? So basically, he started his paper, or at least announced it in his paper, by saying that the growth in Quebec was of the magnitude of 258%. Um, and what happened is that uh, these numbers were debunked, basically, as, as wrong uh, by a people uh, in the NSC, if I get this right. And I was asked to check those, these numbers myself by a number of people, and, uh, and they, were not, they were not correct, the 258% was in fact a hundred uh, points over. It was more of the numbers of 158% and not 258%. And again, this is if you cut the number in two. And by cutting the number in, in two, what I mean by this is that there's, there's different census with different questions. And um, the way in which Dr. LaRue has, has kind of given an interpretation of those numbers, he went only for the people identifying themselves as Métis in Quebec leaving aside the people that says that they had ancestry of Métis people. And now this category disappeared along the way. And so those numbers are kind of, it's easy to play with those numbers to show like big curves. 
Now, there's no doubt that there's an increase in Quebec in terms of Métis identification. But the fact that these numbers were wrong to from the get-go, and then not only wrong, but when it was signaled by by not only the uh, the people of the NFC, but furthermore, uh, CBC, uh, through their reporter, uh, questioning Dr. LaRue about that, he said at first, you know, well, these, these numbers and everything that I did was published. Uh, so uh, by, by, by peer-reviewed scientific process, so they're not reproachable. And um, he soon realized that this argument of authority, I, I assume, would lead him nowhere. <laughs> um, so basically the number were then shift down, right, to 150%. And that was before, you know, we've got to remember, guys, that this was before that these numbers of 2016 were released. You know, so we were dealing with, with number uh, prior to the last stats that we had. Anyway, so it went all over the place in terms of numbers. But these numbers were important for the demonstration of Dr. LaRue because this is what he based his argument on in terms of the intent. Because for him, Dr. LaRue, this big increase of Métis identification bears the mark of an instrumentalization of that identity. So it is not enough to say that the growth is a growth. For Dr. LaRue, this growth is a growth because there's people that have evil intention toward like hijacking Métis identity. Or they're maybe not aware of it when he started to shift his argument a bit in this conference. But that's what they do nevertheless, he argues. Right? So basically we are here making what I've called in my paper a genetic sophism which is kind of a, an argument you cannot demonstrate. It's just impossible to go into the head of people, let alone like a population, an entire population, and psych them out and saying, well, I know the reason why all these people identified as Nietzsche, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's because these intention is planted in their head, and me, as a sociologist, I can read them for you. I mean, that cannot happen, not in the way he has tried to... to uh, to do it, that's for sure. So we've called it. We've called Dr. Larue in our paper on this on this generalization, and then this soft sophist, and uh, and then we we got further down the rabbit hole, so to speak, in terms of argument after that, right? So. Perfect, because I, I have seen that it, that it has been used to be uh, quite alarmist, uh, and we've seen that the whole uh, inflation numbers. Uh, got thrown around quite a bit to create create quite a bit of controversy. Um, Since the census has come out, have you had a chance to review any of the actual numbers? Well, you know, there has been a lot of discussion, and it's quite interesting to see, uh, you know, you probably saw as I did, you know, the the panic of uh, David Chartrand there going nuts with Ontario because their their number got so big, and he says, you know, there's... There's no way you can explain the, this this number of Michi rising even in Ontario, and then suddenly we can see that there's some tensions in Ontario right now. You know about you know their own communities, their own cultures, and then what seems to be central power of the uh, the MNC at this point, the Michi National Council. So that's an interesting topic in and of itself. Of course, a number did get you know up in terms of Quebec and in terms of other provinces. What seems fascinating to me is that these numbers are up. Um, basically all across the different provinces. So there's there's a, a strong um, awareness or, or a strong movement of claiming back Métis identity. Now, that can be explained in various ways. Um, uh, you know, these 
there's there's a movement out there to to try to discredit any kind of rising of Miki except out west for specific reason, and we can get to that. But yeah, so basically we have new numbers. The numbers are up, and now what we have is that these numbers are, are what they are. But there's a number of people out there that will claim that these numbers are significant because they show that there's evil people around or fake people around in the East or Canadian or French Canadian with a drop of indigenous blood that are making those number increase. Right. And in that regard, these, these people would threaten, they would threaten the, uh, the Miki nation, uh, as per my argument prior with, uh, with the, you know, with Chris Anderson, for example, suggesting that this nation is unique in and of itself, and it's West only per some kind of political consciousness. Now, the problem is that with these kinds of arguments, is that you cannot show that either. Uh, political consciousness is is a very fluid concept, and um, if we go back to Louis Riel, for example, on this special day, we can see that the politics of Louis Riel was very different from this Western-centric vision, arguably, right? The conceptions of Lou Riel, of the Métis, was way more open, inclusive, and fluid. And this is why also we have tried to demonstrate in this paper that we have published online, is that not only the methods by which Dr. LaRue is suggesting that uh, the Métis people in the East are fake, you know, so we went after his method, showing that he's using parallelisms, which is basically uh, inference that cannot be checked by fact, in our opinion. But also, we have argued that Dr. LaRue doesn't know uh, Miti culture. In terms, he doesn't know what Riel said about Miti culture. He doesn't know what Gabriel Dumont said about Miti culture. He doesn't know, for example, that there's Miti families in the East in the Utaway uh, region, so Ottawa region, right where I am right now, that did host and protect Louis Riel while he was in exile. And these Métis family were culturally Métis, described it as Métis, sometimes hurt by colonial authorities because they were Métis. And you know, these names, these names are Riel, right around here. Not only Riel, but No, or other big names that we know, uh, the Taylor family was here, too. And so, basically, there's a cluster of Miki family right in the east that that are all connected east and west. And so, on what basis would you argue, then, that there's no real Miki out, out east, if you even don't know that history, if you don't even search it? If you don't even account for it, if you don't if you don't visit those elders that still remember their grandparents telling them that yes, Miti, like Miti was part and always is part of their identity, and that yes, it is true that Louis Riel was going down the lake of Campiermil down Maniwaki region, for example. Right? If we don't take the time to take those stories and to understand that Miti culture was a mobile culture that we didn't, you know, stop at the door of Quebec as a province and says, hope, you know, we cannot, we cannot enter Quebec. It's not like that, you know? So, but the rhetoric goes on in terms of like, well, these peoples are fake, but on what basis, on what grounds? Like impugning motives to people, um, psychologisms, basically on psyching people out saying, well, 
I assume that these people are evil and have ill intentions toward the real indigenous people, right? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't fly too well with me, I would say. So one of the things that I, uh, you know, you mentioned quite a few times is that this is more of a, it seems like a more of a politically motivated um, ideology uh, where somehow their politics will be, or their political power will be threatened. But, um, you know, when we, we've, we've talked about this in a previous episode, when we look at the other indigenous cultures, uh, and they see an increase in their population, they don't, you know, right. freak out and lose their mind and, and think there's a bunch of fake people. So why do you think it is right. that is like, are they, I guess, are they so politically threatened that, Perhaps there might be a group that might rival them in size, and so the government will have to reduce their money and give it to somebody else. Or, like, where's this motivation? Do you think? Because it doesn't seem to be culturally based. Um, when I listen to elders, you know, we have Maria Campbell, for example, who I heard at a symposium saying, you know, there's Red River from Métis, there's Red River from other places too, and mm-hmm. it seems to be a negating of elders and and knowledge keepers. And going more for just this nationalistic political ideology. Would that is that a fair statement to make? Well, it seems to me the case, right? I mean, uh, obviously we're we're in front of ideology here, and nationalism is is part of that ideology. Now, I'm calling these guys by a term neo nationalism because or neo nationalist, because I believe that Riel was also claiming a form of nationalism, but Riel was was claiming a, an inclusive part of nationalism, and I'm not. I'm not saying out of my opinions, right? I've I've read letters of Louis Riel stating so, like explicitly, that the word Métis would would come about in terms of the contingency that you can have within the term Métis, that it would, it would please everybody to create that new people. And Riel was also adamant in blessing Métis from all origin. And all, including the French Canadian Metis, but also Metis from other origin, right? He was trying to reunite the Afrique, the Metis, the Boisbrulé, the Chico. I mean, there were so many names to describe the, the Metis, historically speaking. And now we have this kind of ideology aiming for one word and one word only. Like, hell bent on going, like, I'm going to protect what Metis means. And whatever evidence is going to be thrown at me, I'm just going to say that the planet is still a flat disk, you know? So <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying here, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying here, here, look, look, there's Métis connected east and west. Riel himself traveled east and west, was educated in Quebec. Gabriel Dumont, after the battles of Batoche, we have report of him coming in Quebec and saying, I'm happy to be, a, you know, to be among my people because he was recognizing that French Canadian and Métis had a lot in common. Now, does this mean that they are the, the same people? No, it doesn't mean that. And even Riel recognized that. What's the difference between the French Canadian and the Métis? Well, there are many differences. There are many commonalities, uh, historically speaking, but one of which is, and it's still to this day, is that the French... Canadian Métis, or the Métis, the Boisbrulé, or the French Métis, per different names, are still attached to their dual culture in a unique way, right? The presence of indigenous and French heritage coming together, creating that powerful synthesis that the colonial government has attempted to destroy in so many ways. Now, I'm not inventing this. I'm not like a partisan of melange and mixedness at the, you know, at the cost of the real nation that has to be homogenic and block-like. 
I'm saying this because Gabriel Dumont said that himself and Riel said that himself about 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 their culture, about the way in which they perceive what was Métis identity. Now, when you value this, when you value that heritage of being uh, dual, and you see that as a strength, because it is a strength, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later, historically speaking, it is a powerful strength. But when you see that as a vector of culture, when I meet you and you meet me, and you understand that we're Métis, and we're from different indigenous background and different, you know, uh, French background or, for example, Scottish background, or then we understand that we are forming a people. We're forming, we have commonalities into that despite our differences. And that is my reading of what I think the project of Luria was, to unify those people in a political, in a political vehicle to bring them into uh, freedom, equality, and prosperity for the Miti people. Right, and again, I'm not saying that because I wish that. I say that because there's letters of Louis Riel in 1885 saying there are Métis in the province of Eastern Canada that are suffering right now. I'm paraphrasing, of course, right? But that are suffering right now, and they deserve the same justice than the Métis of Manitoba. So basically, Louis Riel is not confused. He knows that there is Métis in Manitoba, Métis of the Northwest, but he also knows that there is Métis with capital M. No bullshit about that little M thing, you know? Yeah. With capital M, that there are Métis in the eastern province of Canada, and he wish the same right for them and the same justice, which means that he regards them as political people. I mean, I cannot believe today, I cannot believe today, guys, and I have to be blunt about this, but... I went to university and I went with anthropologists and study, you know, uh, some some ways in which colonialism's got to indigenous people. And one of those ways that we can see is that the mindset that the juridical system in the hands of colonizer had. Basically, the thrust of their argument was that they were coming to a country, assessing the so-called savages or the indigenous people calling them as too primitive to have institutions like the so-called white man, and basically they're imposing their system on them, right? To make that long story short. Mm-hmm. But the trust the argument was to believe that these people were inferior because they didn't have like a political will, they didn't have political consciousness, they didn't have laws of their own, they didn't have the basic principles which makes them human beings. And what, what fascinates me and pisses me off at the same time is that now we have Miji people taking that kind of sociological angle top down on our, on our own people and, and going around and says, well, these guys are real Métis and these guys are just fake. Why? Because these guys have, have inherited some kind of magical genes from 200 years ago that will say that, well, these guys have inherited political consciousness while these guys out east, their ancestor was not even remotely aware of being half-breed or, or being Métis, despite the fact that they were treated differently as half-breed and Métis, and sometimes suppressed by colonial authorities. No, 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 no. We'll close our eyes, wide shot on this, and we'll say that these people are lacking the ingredient of nationalism that allow us to be real and true. Now, I'm saying, guys, this is just like the so-called you know, colonizing a tone that is just reapplied in our formula to match 
the institution of, of colonial power, right? To say, well, we are a nation in front of the colonizer, and we can assert ourselves. But meanwhile, we're hurting our own. And mean, meanwhile, I don't think that we're respecting the full potential of our political views that were way more inclusive and way more fluid in their ability to escape uh, repression and suppression of our culture. In yeah. a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. I mean, we've talked many times about how, uh, you know, it just seems like another form of colonization, um, their attitude towards Eastern-based Métis. Um, so, well, like, when you when you bring up the things, like, this is what Riel said, like, these aren't things that you're just making up and concocting in your own brain. These are, you're, you're translating and you're, and you're researching Louis Riel, Gabriel Dumont, and other, you know, polit political Métis leaders and stuff like that. So how does, yeah. how does I guess... I'm where I stumble is how do these guys who prop Louis Riel up as their as their hero kind of right. totally negate everything he said unless it conveniently fits their narrative like how do like do you have any insight on like how would a person or I guess how does that even work cuz to me it seems irresponsible to to say he's our hero he's our founder but we don't want to listen to the things yeah. he had to say <laughs> Yes well, I, I would agree with that statement. Uh, you know, to go back to, uh, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, it's late at night and I, I had a long day and sometimes I can't go on, on, a, on a ramp, so to speak. Uh, so please in, interrupt me at any point or I say, okay, okay, so just let, let's reframe it. Uh, I'm quite at ease here with you guys. But basically what I, what I, was, what I was trying to suggest, you know, per your previous, previous argument is this. You said, why is there, and it's connected to your present question, why is there that, that suddenly there, there's a negation of that, that cross-continental political culture of the Métis, right, that I've tried to expose uh, more carefully in a, in a book that I co-authored, um, Songs Upon the River, where I'm trying to make a continental image of what could be Métis culture uh, connected across regions, right? So we got to remember that the constitution that came in 1982 and the constitutional constitutional vision of the term Métis, right, uh, was was you know a beacon of hope, but also did create a lot of problems. Basically, when the constitution to the cure, we moved from a politics of recognitions in which a lot of people were unite and unified. And right the day after we got in the Constitution of Canada, suddenly we got into the politics of identity. Why? Because this guy in this, I, in my opinion, this hero leader called um, Daniels, right? Harry Daniels comes forward and tries to, to, to go with the visions of L to unite all Miki across the country. So he goes from region to region. And he digs people out and he's like, are you okay? What's your interest? And so on. And we have press paper here in Quebec showing Harry Daniels with the Métis from the ABTB regions, with the Métis from different parts of Quebec that did send their own freaking delegation in the 80s in Ottawa to argue for their rights, their trapping rights, their hunting rights, their fishing rights, the way in which the logging company was not respecting them on the ground and stuff like that. I mean, we have evidence of that. These guys calling themselves Michi going forward. Now, of course, for a guy like Daryl LaRue, these guys are fake, and these guys didn't understand their real identity, right? But, I mean, 
from our perspective, these guys have camp named Riviel, and they're going forward with Harry Daniel and negotiating that constitution. So I'm saying to these Métis that negates all the Métis in Quebec, where were you? I mean, where, where were you people about for, for you not to remember these times of unity? But then what happened is that you got included in constitutions in terms of names, right? And with these, the, this, this name now constitutionalized comes new privilege, new money, new resources, and new ways of controlling people, right? So after that, you see a big split happening, and in uh, 1983, the, the creation of the Métis National Council, basically a group that decided that the only real Métis will be out west on the Tree Prairies province. And they decided to go their way and to start crafting arguments and lobbying that arguments with that, that doctrine that says the only real Métis are from Red River and the only real Métis are connected to the diaspora of Red River. You know, now, I, 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 I... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please go. I was going to say, you know, one of the things that I think is uh, really... One of the biggest sh uh, shames of all this, I think, is that by doing following this path of this nationalist argument that they have, it it negates hundreds of years of of Métis history, and you know to me that's some of the most fascinating history of the formation of what is now you know the United States and Canada, um, and it, yeah. to me that's a real shame that we're just writing off those hundreds of years before Red River, as though they didn't exist. Mm. And and really, like I, you know, reading your book, songs upon the river and stuff, it it was it was a really fascinating read because you don't hear that stuff anywhere else, and there's not a lot of of knowledge about, you know, this city was formed by you know uh, Métis people, and there was Métis people setting up you know trading forts in in the west at this time, and and so there's a lot of history yeah. there that's just basically going to be erased if. If the the government and everybody else buys into this nationalist, you know, only well, Red River mentality. Yeah, well, it's it's all a matter of. Uh, I would suggest to your argument, it's all a matter of of principle, right? At the end of the day, a convenient political formula in our world often work by simplification, right? Homogeneity, simplification, almost this this. The, these ideas that, let's be honest about it, we have inherited from Europe, you know, one nation under one God, under one language, and 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 one race and one culture and whatever, right? That that format of unicity, of homogenizing, of kind of a this this narrative by which you get to think of yourself in a specific and similar way. Well, with the Miki, it doesn't work like that, according to Songs Upon the River and according to what I'm seeing in evidence and in my own culture, right? I mean, we are a culture that doesn't need to be homogenous. We are a culture that goes with diversity from the get-go, that goes with diversity as a strength from the get-go, that goes for pluralisms, pluralities of language, right? French, English, Gaelic, different indigenous language. We've seen that in Canadian village, as they used to call them, or different Métis settlement, in which people sometimes were talking up to 11 different languages. Wow. Now, of course, I've been accused of, like, being only, like, pro-French. I've been accused also of being, like, a, a hidden separatist, 
and 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 because you know basically we're <laughs> saying that French was an important aspect of the Miti culture in terms of its its dominance in the fur trade, but we also realize that as important as French were all these indigenous language that were also creating Miti culture, but. So, so basically, we have to realize that this is a strength, and we can drive our politics from this. We don't have to adopt this standardized, sterilized, um, nationalistic narrative that fits the grid, I would say, of, of the, the romantic notion of what is a nation, you know, as this natural entity born out of the soil, of blood and soil. It's, it's not like that, not for the Miti. It was made along different alliances with different indigenous people coming together by networks of trade and kinship, all connected, and then created this beautiful, strong, and very powerful culture, in my opinion. Right? So if we go with that, and I believe that this is, this is the vision of Lou Riel, and this is the vision that Harry Daniels had as well, then we got to try to defend it, and we got to try to, in my opinion, to honor it now. When 1983 came, and then there were a big split along the, the you know, the Miti movement in terms of politics of, of identity, then suddenly you have people uh, that says, well, now we have a group of Miti that only wants to be Miti out west, and they are using constitutional privilege to that party. And then you have these Miti saying to the other Miti, no, 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 you have this backsided. It's actually you guys that are taking the constitutional right, because now that term has been in the Constitution, now you guys are fake and you want to be Métis only to bit, you know, to, to bite at our privileges. And so we have a narrative that will lead us, in my opinion, nowhere. Nowhere because this, types of, this type of rhetoric, like you suggested earlier, in my opinion, serves only uh, the most powerful at this point, and, and leave some of the most destitute, poor, unrepresented communities I have came across when I was, you know, I did travel Canada in different directions. And when I was breaking bread with the Métis out east and out west, I see some of the most formidable people, but, you know, living in poverty still, having no resources to, to education and the means to defend themselves by adequate lawyers and, and an adequate like expert and historians that could help them to really shape their their defense. None of that. And meanwhile everybody's busy on the internet, on Twitter, in universities, in hurting each other. Right? You're not this, you're not that, you're not Michi enough, you're not you're not fiddling enough, you're not and, and this madness is affecting our kids. It affects students that I'm receiving in my office weeks after weeks saying, Sebastian, am I good enough? Am I like, am I Michi enough? I come from Acadia. Do I deserve a place at the table? Or even people from Sault Ste. Marie and even half-breed, so to speak, from half-breed family from Red River saying to me, am I Michi? I'm like, what, what is it with this madness? What is it? I mean, at one point, we'll have to come and realize our strength and the ability of, of, of our culture to, to face the challenges head on or or what? You know? No, I, I agree with you, and we've talked uh, many times on the podcast about that, about, you know, we're so wrapped up in this identity issue. I mean, for us here in Alberta, there's a community that uh, we've visited and we've had on the podcast, and, and they're, they are, like you said, living in, in uh, 
you know, poverty, they're not doing well, and there's nobody, there's nobody fighting for them. Um, but right. if you go on the internet, yeah, it's a, it's a, you can find a lot of vitriol about who is and who's not Métis. Now, I understand, um, we're, we're getting close to running out of time, but I understand that you have, uh, just received a grant or, um, to continue your research and to, or to further your research. Uh, maybe you, do, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and just, uh, let everybody know, I guess, where you're, you know, looking to go with the research? Well, it's a bit of a an, an excellent news. You know, the news was released today on Memorial Day as well, so I'm pretty happy and, and stoked about this. Yet there, so I've secured a research grant with Shirt, uh, which is a federal agency that works on, you know, that works to distribute money for research based on on uh, merit and uh, not only that, but you know, on transparency because we are we are evaluated by our peers on, uh, on what could be a sustainable project. And in that project, I have suggested that we need to study carefully the history of the Métis people in Quebec because there's there's so much bashing right now that we got to get to the bottom of that argument, right? And so in, in going into the archives for the last past two years, I did find documents that shows and indicates that um, the government, the colonial authorities, have refused to protect... Métis in parts of Quebec that were trying to form collectivities or communities, knowing fairly well and identifying them collectively as Métis. So I want to study this problem per fiduciary responsibility. I want to see what what went down into that politics that I've kind of created a mess for the Métis people in Quebec and as well as other places, right? Because you can, after that, take that argument and run with it in different parts of Canada. But here's the important part is that if the government can be, if it can be shown that the government has been responsible for not protecting Michi communities that were well identified in some region, and then ask them per its Pauli test to prove that there is an historical community, I'm seeing a big problem in that, you know, into that conflict. Absolutely. I mean, you cannot ask the Michi people to prove their community. If you have tried for 200 years for different actions, which are luckily sometimes documented, it's a matter of finding them. And then you cannot reverse and ask them to prove that community that you've tried so hard to suppress. And so basically the Michi in Quebec, as well as other places of Canada, are finding a great challenge in front of themselves because they are forming what I call a diaspora. Michi have been a cultural diaspora living free. First, through the fuel trade, and after that, you know, after the fuel trade era, through different places. But Métis were excluded from reserves, excluded from treaties. Some did got admission to reserve, and some did got admission to treaties. So there's shift in terms of identities. And again, that's another subject that we, have could, we could have touched, but Métis identities, historically speaking, versus what they call Indian uh, identity, per different names, is not necessarily kind of uh, uh, unique as well or in block identity, right? There's movement, there's fluidity in those identities. So what we need is careful cultural marker to understand what is Miti culture. And then we have to understand what is a diaspora, what is the distributions of Miti people across this country. And then we have to understand that if these people did suffer uh, colonial interventions or politics or even legal aspect, 
then we have to make that clear. And I believe that this will help the, you know, the reconciliation that we need within the Métis culture and the people between East and West. If we realize through that research that although we are not necessarily the same per region, right, we have evolved differently in different regions, and that's fine. I mean, we have certain fights in common. We have certain things in common. We, we experience colonialisms in very specific way and very, in, in, in very similar way as well. So, so one, one final, not to interrupt you, but one final uh, question there, Seb. Um, yeah. Uh, when can we, how long is this uh, grant for? Like, uh, we're very excited to hear that you're going to be doing this research. Uh, how long yeah. do, you th- do you have to be able to uh, investigate all of this? Well, it's a two years grant. And but there's already, yeah, it's two years, but there's already paper on the way about, you know, like, for example, showing um, these these Métis communities that were identified or people that were identified as Métis, Bois Brûlé, or even Michif out in Western Quebec, for example, where I did some digging. And um, so now it's a matter of putting all these documents together and crafting them and giving them back to the people, right, so that they can understand better for themselves what has been their 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 suffering, historically speaking, and as well as legally speaking, and the challenge that they have in front of themselves now. That so is exciting. That will create peace, yeah. So when when, uh, when do you think those papers would be uh, made available? Well, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's always, there, there's always glints in, uh, in the paper that I've published on uh, the LaRue uh, question, because I have given hints of some of my findings where, you know, at the end of the paper, I'm saying, how come LaRue is not aware that uh, trapping license were giving at a different price for the half-breed in Quebec, for example? How come he's not aware of Father Bellefeuille describing that all along the fur trade uh, post in Quebec, these people were de- were identified as Michif and with similar cultural traits than the people in Red River? How come he's not aware that there's the different families, there are the different Michif families protecting Louis Riel in Western Quebec when Riel is in exile and cannot be West, you know, because he's, he, he has a bounty on his head. And, and strangely enough, he comes in Quebec and other places as well to seek protection. How come he's not aware of that culture and that history, yet claims that he can go around and just taxing people of being all of them fake? So in my paper, I, I have given a glimpse of that. But there's a further publication that will come and that will sustain that story and make sure that the evidence can be uh, shared so that so that people can make their own minds about this and and hone it. Well, I, one one final thing I have for you, Seb, and it, it's actually a quick an, uh, question to answer. But does does Daryl Larue uh, identify as Métis? Does he consider himself part of Métis culture? Well, to the best of my understanding, uh, and from what I got from his conference, he he said that he's he has indigenous ancestry, but that doesn't make him Métis, right? So he wants to build on the fact that. He himself as French and indigenous ancestry, yet he's not Métis. He wants to make himself like the example of what somebody should and shouldn't do. I have argued in my paper that, that this is this is completely going into against culture in terms of an argument because you can have two different persons from the same lineage and one can go Métis in culture or First Nation for that matter and the other would go simply Canadian, right? So that's why self-identity is very important, crucial in connection with what is culture. 
but he wants to go by like these kinds of rhetoric and almost inverted blood quantum, right? Where where he will say, well, the Quebecois has kind of an ancestry way too far along, and it's ten generation, and it's just one drop. It's it doesn't hold a role, you know. At, at the light, for example, of the Paoli family that that made the supreme case in 2003 when you know that their ancestor was six generations ago no endogenic practice so no marriage between Métis family and so did we judge so harshly the Pauli? of course not his Métis were happy that they, you know he did secure some right although there's now issues about this but see that rhetoric of that one percent of that too far of that you're never perfect enough and for Quebec only or for the East only seems to me very problematic when, when we think about it. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to wrap up here, but I think my, one of my biggest problems with, the, in particular, Daryl LaRue, is that by not self-identifying as Métis or not identifying as Métis at all, uh, in my opinion, it kind of makes him ineligible to really speak on Métis culture. I mean, you can read about it in a book all you want, but the truth is, is you know, you grew up Métis on... Uh, a lot of people did, and I think those are the people that, that we need to start listening to. And, um, you know, I don't know any other Indigenous group that would allow somebody who's not, who doesn't identify as who they are to then tell them who they are and who, who is not authentically, um, you know, First Nation. So it, it's it's an interesting thing that I think uh, Métis are allowing a guy who doesn't identify as Métis to speak on their behalf. But... Um, so I want to thank you, Seb, for coming on. I mean, I, f- I feel like we could talk probably for hours. Uh, I'm, <laughs> there was a lot of things you said tonight that really, honestly, were just fascinating for me. I don't know how you felt, Jason, but uh, it was very informative yeah, for yeah, me. Me as, me as well. We could probably keep Seb on here for about eight more hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. I, I took I took so much of your so much time in, in, in talking. This is a... At the end of the day, right, and on this subject, I'm quite passionate, and it's rightfully so. You know, it's it's our. I think it's the most important stuff we need to talk about. But like I said, some people said that the obstacle is the path. So I don't despair. I, I see that as as a necessary road for us to take, so that we can better understand ourselves and eventually make peace for our children. Right. So I'm hoping that in the future like my children and the children of my adversary will play together, right? And understand that that we can be different Métis, but we're Métis nevertheless, and that using the word Métis for different, you know, cultural expressions that came in time doesn't mean that I'm going to take anything away from Red River. Like, you got to remember that many people in the East used to look up to the West, right? And so it's like, these guys did it. These guys, you know, like, they're they're inspirational for us, and they're... They're the same, and Louis Riel was traveling across the country, and we remember him. So I think that we are going nowhere if we don't have Red River, a strong Red River leadership and a strong leadership from Central Canada into this. I believe this with all my heart. Is this a matter of, like, reconnecting the dots and making sure that we can now, you know, pulsate together into doing this, right? Absolutely. I think that's a great final way to leave this. Um, and I don't know if you have any final thoughts, Jason, or... No, just really appreciate you taking uh, time out of your busy schedule, Seb, to come talk to us. And uh, we really look forward to uh, more of the work that you're doing, you know, because we feel it's, you know, vitally important. Well, thank you, uh, Jason, and, and thank you, uh, you know, for the, the show that you're doing is extremely important. And a lot of people are listening to your show out east, west, north, so I heard. So it's a, it's a great thing that you're doing and a great service to, uh, to our people. 
Well, we we uh, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the podcast, but I really enjoy having you having you on. And hopefully, we can have you on again in the future when maybe you know your another paper comes out, or you know you're looking to do another book. Um, I definitely look forward to that. And once again, I want to thank you. And uh, for all our listeners, I think that's it. The jig is up. Long live the king. Hey. My late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real warrior woman probably popping who's dead. It's poor man's if you wanna talk the language. A hundred clicks north if our genius the rest. You still gotta be a chief to 